Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. Well, we will go ahead and get started. It's uh, we're, we're already late. We're running behind. Who knows if we'll stop in time. Um, of course, if you didn't read the sign uh, outside the door, this is for uh, Mordecai. We'll be learning about. Uh, I'm not going to be going scripture by scripture through uh, the book of Esther. Mordecai is primarily, if not mainly, in the book of Esther. And it's kind of woven through, uh, through that story. It really is kind of two stories combined into one. Welcome, welcome. Now we've got to start over. Um, so it's kind of woven through uh, the story of Esther, Mordecai. I like to think of it as two stories kind of combined into one to make one much larger story. Uh, but Mordecai, I think, has a, a much bigger role than a lot of people think when it comes to uh, the story of Esther saving the Jewish people from uh, Haman's plan to exile them, uh, not exile, uh, kill them, very different. Um, so we'll kind of start uh, through the beginning there. I'll go over a couple points. Uh, one, I want to talk about who Mordecai was, basic genealogy, uh, of course, what he did, and uh, also what his impact was and uh, what he did. So. Pretty simple, nothing too deep. Uh, I'm not going to break anybody's brain. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. Now, Mordecai lives in Susa, the citadel in Persia. They are currently under the rule of uh, a struggle with the name. It's like King Ahasuerus, or I apologize. I'm just going to call him Xerxes. Um, so they are under the rule of Xerxes. Uh, Mordecai was the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, the Benjamite. And Kish is actually the father of King Saul, who was, of course, the first king of Israel. So, King Saul, if we do the genealogy math here, is a direct descendant of... No, Mordecai is a direct descendant of King Saul. And, of course, Mordecai was Jewish. Now, to kind of set the background of how Mordecai got to be where he was in Susa the Citadel, Kish, like a long time ago, whenever Nebuchadnezzar uh, took or took captive King, uh, I don't believe that's the right word, Jaconia, that does, that's not right, uh, the King of Judah at the time. Uh, he took captive the king of Judah and a bunch of Jewish people at the time. And going down the line, that is how Mordecai came to be in Susa, the citadel, under the rule of King Xerxes. Now, to relate Mordecai to Esther, Mordecai is actually Esther's cousin, who uh, is also Esther's adopted father. So Mordecai has kind of taken in Esther after Esther's parents had died. Uh, and has kind of taken her as his own and acts as a father figure, even though 
they are cousins, so nothing weird going on there. But he also acts as a mentor and a wise counsel to Esther throughout the story of, uh, throughout this story, and we'll kind of see that throughout the way. Now, what Mordecai did, what he did do, Mordecai's story, it's somewhat, like I said, somewhat takes place in the middle of an even larger story of Esther. So Xerxes had become angry with the current queen, uh, Vashti. And in response, King Xerxes decided to hold his own competition of sorts, if you will, a biblical bachelorette. Uh, Mordecai's cousin and adopted daughter Esther was among the many virgins in the running to become the next queen uh, next to Xerxes. Now Esther found favor with Xerxes and he loved her more than all of the other women and eventually he did crown her king, or excuse me, crown her queen next to Xerxes. Now what's interesting about this, as I said, Mordecai kind of um, acted as a counsel and uh, a wise counsel to Esther, but Xerxes was not aware of Esther's background as a Jew because Mordecai had advised her not to tell this part of her life. Now perhaps in the moment this was just to help Esther and her chances in the competition and uh, he didn't want it to count against her, which it probably would have. But later on, we're going to see why that was so significant. Now to move on, Mordecai, he spent a lot of time uh, at the king's gate in Susa. And uh, he, he tried to stay as close as he could to Esther. And uh, the most likely reason that he was at the king's gate is likely because he held some sort of position in the royal civil service. So he may have had a job uh, with royalty as, as a guard at the king's gate, and that is likely why he is commonly found at the king's gate and still has some contact with Esther even after she becomes queen. Now while he sat at the king's gate, Mordecai overheard a, a plot to assassinate Xerxes. Now two, or two of the king's eunuchs uh, Bigthan and Teresh were, uh, they had grown angry with the king somehow for some reason and they plotted to kill him. Mordecai, he overheard this and he informed Queen Esther who informed the king and eventually it was found out that these rumors, this uh, conspiracy was true and both of these eunuchs were killed and they were hanged. Now, what's interesting about this is, of course, it was because of Mordecai that he, that the king was saved from assassination. But Mordecai didn't receive any sort of recognition from uh, the king, uh, nor any uh, of his servants. He didn't receive anything, and it really doesn't seem like he sought any recognition either. Uh, we don't see in scripture anywhere where he you know, was complaining that he didn't receive any recognition. We don't see that he's you know, trying to seek position because of what he'd done. Uh, essentially, we can just see that you know, he was a, not a descendant. He was a uh, follower, a citizen. We'll say citizen. He was a citizen under Xerxes' rule, and he was loyal to the government that was above him. So he did what was right, what any loyal citizen would do, and he reported the potential assassination, and even pre uh, prevented it. Now moving on to next story, 
Haman is kind of the antagonist in, in the story here. Haman was an uh, Agagite, which is a fun word to say. If you guys want to try it, you can try it later. <laughs> Haman was an Agagite that was promoted to a position over everyone else. And this likely was a deserved promotion. Uh, you know, we don't have much detail on that, but you know, usually if a king promotes somebody, it's due to them deserving the promotion or them doing something that would allow them or give them the credentials to serve in that position. So likely was a deserved promotion that Haman received. Not giving too much detail about it, but either way, through Scripture, we can see that it's not great for the Jews. It's not a good thing that... <coughs> excuse me. It's not a good thing that all of a sudden Haman is now ahead of everyone and is essentially calling the shots. So... Now, due to the promotion, Xerxes honored Haman, and everyone else was expected to honor him also. The king does it. It's expected that the citizens would honor this man also. Now, while everyone bowed, we can see in Esther chapter 3, around verse 2 through 5, Mordecai chose not to. Mordecai chose not to bow down. And this, in my mind, is kind of similar to the story of Daniel, which, of course, occurs later when the three Hebrew boys chose not to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. So, it's a, a little bit, maybe not a parallel, but maybe a connection. Uh, <coughs> I apologize. <clears throat> now, whenever Mordecai did choose not to bow down to Haman because of his promotion, because Xerxes honored him and expected everybody else to, the king's servants around Mordecai they began to ask him, why, why do you transgress the king's commands? Why are you being disobedient? Why are you disrespecting authority? Why are you going against the king? But Mordecai didn't really give any answer that we can see other than the fact that he was a Jew. His response to those questions was, I am a Jew. And Mordecai didn't lack any sort of respect for authority. In fact, he did quite the opposite. He demonstrated loyalty to the king by stopping an assassination. If you're not loyal to a king, you're not going to stop an assassination and an attempt on their life. It wasn't that he hated Xerxes or even Haman. And there's not much evidence that Mordecai even knew Haman before this moment. But above loyalty to a certain worldly government or ruler... Mordecai demonstrates that no one deserves his worship over God. And I believe that's what he's saying when he responds by saying, I am a Jew. My service, my worship to God, nothing else comes above that. I don't bow down to any other man. I don't bow down to any government if it comes in place of my God. Now that statement might seem in, insignificant, but it holds so much more weight than simply a way to describe himself. <coughs> Forgive me. Now it would be hard to believe that Mordecai did not realize the potential consequences of his actions. Now the king has killed for, for much less than for someone who refused to bow or pay homage to one of his appointed leaders. Haman was filled with rage, and not just against Mordecai. 
I mean, it'd be one thing if he was, you know, angry with Mordecai because he didn't, you know, bow down. He had a, a blatant disrespect for him in front of everybody. But it wasn't enough just for Haman to have this distaste towards Mordecai. But he decided to have the distaste and decided to teach a lesson to the entire Jewish people. Now, I want to pause and point something out that I thought was pretty cool uh, as I was studying this. So, as I mentioned earlier, Haman was an Agagite. And Agag, if you're familiar, was the king of the Amalekites who King Saul was tasked to kill, and Samuel eventually did. Now, Haman, of course, was a descendant of Agag, while Mordecai was a descendant of King Saul. Now, I doubt Haman knew of Mordecai's ancestry, but... <clears throat> I apologize. Every time I get up and speak, my throat turns to sawdust. Gets a little tickle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> All right. We'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Good sing, I could. I could. You want to duet it with me? <laughs> 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 All right. Um, I doubt Haman knew of Mordecai's ancestry, but not only was it possible, but likely he was aware of the bad blood between the Jews and the Amalekites. That history was likely known to Haman. And perhaps this played a role in Haman's anger toward Jews and not just Mordecai himself. So Haman decides to take action into his own hands. He decides to deliver, I guess, a sales pitch to Xerxes to eliminate specifically an unknown group of people within the kingdom. Haman specifically did not mention that the group of people he wanted to eliminate was the Jews. And he, he cites disloyalty, <coughs> cites disloyalty and defiance among the people. And it's telling of Haman's character that he was unwilling to name the Jews in this pitch. Perhaps he knew that if he named the Jews, then Xerxes would not go for what he was asking, because the Jews have not shown any sort of disloyalty or defiance. Esther and Mordecai even proved that Haman's words were false. And even with a little bribe, a little bit of money, and what seems like very little convincing to Xerxes, the king gives Haman his signet ring, and the power to commit, essentially, genocide of the Jews. So, of course, we move on in the story. Haman goes and he, he signs a decree and he sends it out to all the provinces in the land. And he even picks a specific date. I don't know why it wouldn't be immediate, but he picks a specific date in the future, which if I did that, I would probably just leave before that date. <laughs> Uh, picks a date in the future, sets it in stone. This is the day that the Jews are going to be killed. So Mordecai, he sees this decree, and along with countless other Jews, he threw on a sackcloth and ashes, which seems dramatic, uh, and he began to mourn. And he made his way to the king's gate, where Esther had learned of what happened. She learned of the decree that was made. So she sent a eunuch to Mordecai to carry 
messages back and forth, essentially one big game of telephone. So Mordecai pleaded with Esther to go to Xerxes to reverse the decree to save the Jewish people. And this is kind of where we pick back up. This is where we, we somewhat stop Mordecai's story and we pick back up on Esther's story. So Esther is faced with a dilemma herself. Mordecai is essentially asking her to approach the king in his inner circle. In Esther 4, chapter 4, verse 11, Esther replies to Mordecai, says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So essentially, what she's saying is, nobody can go into the inner circle of the king without him calling. Even as the queen, she didn't have unlimited access to the king's presence. She didn't have unlimited access to the king's attention. And this is likely due to attempted assassinations or protection of the king in order to limit the amount of people who would see him and limit, of course, the amount of opportunities to kill him. So with that, if somebody were to enter into the inner circle without being called by the king and he doesn't raise and extend his golden scepter to that person, the, the penalty for that is death. So Esther is faced with potential death either way she faces. If she enters the king's circle, she could be killed as she was not called by the king. If she does nothing, her people will die. So Mordecai responds. He's a real encouragement. <laughs> he uh, responds with a not-so-encouraging message to Esther in Esther 4, 13 through 14. <clears throat> then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews. Forgive me. Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. So essentially you are not going to be protected just because you're in the palace. Whether you intervene as queen or not, deliverance will come to the Jews. And if you choose to do nothing, then deliverance will still come and you and your house will be destroyed. So Esther doesn't have a lot of options here. But I want to highlight the, the last question that Mordecai asks Esther. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, God is not mentioned in the book of Esther at all. You won't, you won't find God, you won't find Yahweh, Lord, or any other name for God mentioned. But although he is not mentioned, that does not mean that he is absent from the story. What is interesting about the book of Esther is that God can be seen throughout the book, even without hearing his voice, even without seeing his hand. You can see his work 
Interwoven throughout the story, you can see him working behind the scenes, orchestrating each event and orchestrating each person where they are. And even Mordecai's character is shown through in this moment as a devoted man following after God. Now, Mordecai has already proven that he's not scared of the consequences of showing his faith. And he's ready to even face death if it means he does not compromise who he is as a child of God. Mordecai never saw any sort of recognition from the king for saving his life. He was loyal to the power that God has set over him, and he understood that loyalty and cooperation is not the same as worship, and that his worship only belonged to God. Mordecai demonstrates wisdom and counsel when advising Esther to keep her faith quiet for the time being. It's likely that Xerxes would have known if Xerxes would have known of Esther's Jewish faith, she would not have even become queen. Mordecai could discern that Esther needed to be queen because her influence would be necessary down the road. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That time had come to pass. And everything that had transpired to this point has been orchestrated by God in a way that we don't even need to see Him or hear Him. But we just know that he is there because we can see the effects of his work. And Mordecai could see him working. So Esther agreed and, uh, like I said, I'm not going to be long. I'm actually finishing up. And then we can have a little bit of discussion and even, uh, even get out maybe a little bit early. So Esther agreed to go to the king. And Xerxes wanted to give Esther whatever she desired. So Esther asked for a little odd. She asked for a banquet with Xerxes and Haman. Now Haman, again, saw Mordecai at the, at the king's gate. And suddenly his, his frustration, his anger began to bubble up again. So he decided to custom build gallows. How much do you got to hate somebody yep. to custom build gallows to hang them? <laughs> Now the king, the king couldn't sleep one night. Xerxes couldn't sleep one night, so he decided to have the, the king's chronicles come. It sounds like a fun read. Decided to have the king's chronicles brought to him. Decided to have the king's chronicles brought to him, so he could take a look, have some, some late night reading. And he saw a record of this assassination that, that was going to take place. He saw a record of these two eunuchs that were plotting to, to kill him. Mm-hmm. And he also saw a record of this man named Mordecai who decided to intervene and decided to save the king's life. So the king asked his servants, you know, what was done for this man? What, what was done to, to honor him? What was done to reward him? And of course, the servant said, nothing was done, so... So the king, wanting to do something, was grateful for his life, wanted to do something. He called Haman, and Xerxes asked Haman, how should a man be honored who the king is delighted with? Mm-hmm. And Haman, in his arrogance, mm-hmm. was thinking that he was being honored for something. And he thought that the king was wanting to honor him, so he started naming off 
all these things that he wanted. He wanted robes. He wanted a feast. He wanted the, uh, uh, specifically a horse that the king rode, which I guess understandable. But he wanted all these things that he was expecting the king to give himself. I mean, I guess it only makes sense. If you're going to give something to someone, you might as well ask them what they want. But afterwards, of course, Xerxes' intention was to reward Mordecai. And the king gave Mordecai all these things that Haman had listed off, which, of course, only boiled Haman's blood even more. And kind of quickly moving on, at the, at the banquet throne for Esther, she revealed her true desire to save her people to the king and essentially threw Haman under the bus. And, uh, Haman was condemned and... And this is the funny part to me. He was hanged on the same gallows that he had built for Mordecai. So the king met Esther's wishes and, and with the help of Mordecai, new decrees had been sent all over the provinces and uh, uh, essentially the decree stated that on the day, he didn't just take away the day, which probably would have been the easiest thing to do. Again, I don't know. Um, but instead, they made a new decree that essentially said, the Jews, you are, you're allowed to defend yourself. On that day, you're allowed to defend yourself from being killed. And essentially, you killed people that are trying to kill you. So, so on that day, that day came to pass, and the Jews ended up killing, I want to say, forgive me, I don't have the number. I want to say a few thousand people who ended up trying to kill the Jews that day. And the Jews ended up prevailing. Now when you look at this story, of course the book is, is named after Esther. And she is an incredibly important part of that story. And I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to minimize her influence or what she did and what she risked. <coughs> I don't want to minimize what she risked in order to save her people, but... I would argue that Mordecai is just as important of a character in the story, just as important of his influence or his, I guess, decision-making. His um, influence is probably the right word. But I would argue that he is just as important in the story. Because while Esther, her influence was important, Mordecai was acting as a counsel, he was acting as that wisdom to Esther. Because if she maybe didn't have him, likely she wouldn't be queen. She wouldn't be put in the, in the position that was needed in order to save the people. Now granted, if you kind of look back, a lot of the trouble that was caused was probably because of Mordecai. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that black part she doesn't <laughs> But at, at the same time, these acts, these, these events were necessary to not only defeat Haman, but to deliver the Jews from death, genocide, from essentially complete elimination. So. But that is essentially a, a very, very brief overview of Mordecai. Uh, there's lots of resources you can go into. To, to learn a lot more uh, about the culture at the time and also uh, just the events themselves.